The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And then he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Our good and gracious God, we come this morning to our congregational home from a week of all kinds of unrest in our country, of violence, of things we never thought possible any longer in this place, this world of ours, and especially in this United States. In so many ways, we are horrified, we are embarrassed, we are wondering what we can do to ameliorate the situation of rising racism and hatred and um, nationalism and all the things that have brought hurt and woundedness to so many. We come for refreshment, we come to hear your word, we come to hear your um, marching orders into this world. We are not meant to be sitting on the bench We're not meant to be idle. At a time such as this, let us rise up in your name with love unconditional and with hope and with a promise of new day of understanding and peace in our land and in the world. With your help, we know, Lord, all things are possible. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing. In your name we ask. Amen. It's always an adjustment coming home from Tanzania. The trip is such a thought-provoking immersion, it's mind-bending, it's 
a cultural cleansing in so many ways. It's a holy time, I really find, for re-examining my own priorities and values and faith practices. We, the Lushoto Five, some of whom are in the very room with us, returned from Cathedral Church last Sunday morning. It seems like already a long time ago, about 9 o'clock Sunday morning, after, oh, about a 14-hour plane ride on Qatar Airlines. It was um, a long journey, and ankles were swollen, and we were tired, and so it was, in a way, good to get back. And yet it is also um, the first time for four of our members. It was my fifth journey, so I was kind of used to the drill. But daily we experienced in this journey to Tanzania um, so many things that I think work on your soul. It was, it was clear to me that we were going to be in the minority, but until you are actually in it, it's hard to imagine. Daily we experienced being the clear white minority in the strangers in the village, you might say, in the churches, up in the mountain outposts, in the secondary schools, in the marketplace. Little Tanzanian children typically run alongside our jeeps. Those of you who have gone before know this. It's rather embarrassing. They're adorable children. They're in their school uniforms. They're five, six, seven, eight years old. They see our Jeep coming, the white faces in the seat next to the door, and they run alongside shouting, Wazungu! Wazungu! And they have their hand out like this. And the next thing is, Zawadi! Zawadi! Which means gift, gift, money, of course. Money. It's what we represent in so many ways. Not only American, but Europeans that come, and uh, Germans and Scandinavians, I'm sure, get the same treatment. Wazungu is Kiswahili, you may know, for white people. White people. And we were indeed somewhat of an exciting rarity up and down those mountain roads. What we represent is not our skin color alone, but privileged, wealthy foreigners. And it's an uncomfortable reality to own, but it fits. It is who we represent. However, within our faith family, within the cathedral family and all the sub-parishes, even our scholarship students, we are embraced not as wazungu, at least they don't use the word, but they come and hug us as one family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is indeed a warm welcome. There is a reception that's typical in the mountain sub-parishes you've heard before, where we arrive in our Jeep and everyone comes surrounding the car, often with flowers for the women and even for the men, and we sing our way into the church. What was so impressive for me this time, as I knew the custom, was to work my way into Nazareth Church for the first time. I say this partly because I think Bruce and Janet were on the trip when they were still building Nazareth Parish and they had been worshiping in a little mud hut on someone else's backyard property. And they had walked us down the road to show where men were working with a pickaxe, if you remember, to remove the boulders in this field where one day a church would stand. I stood in that field with Bruce and Janet and thought, holy mackerel, when they build a church here, the whole congregation rolls up their sleeves and starts picking the ground and getting ready to make the bricks 
So when I came up the stairs this time to Nazareth, which is also the home of my dear scholarship student, um, I came out of the Jeep to a huge building. It was, well, it was at least half the size of our sanctuary, and it had an altar up front. It had glass windows. It was stunning. And I stood on the steps while they all sang and went in, and I just filled up with tears. I couldn't believe that I had been part of watching this congregation be built from the 12 years ago when we were starting to this day. It took them, you know, 10 years almost to get this congregation up and finished. And we have been sending them $2,000 here and there to put in uh, bricks and mortar and put in the altar and put in the windows. And there it was. And I thought, wow, to be part of building your own church in this way was just so powerful. And to stand there, Evelina, the Christian ed director, come on, pastor, come on, pastor. Karibu, karibu, what's the matter? And I'm out there like, ooh, I can't believe I stood on the vista where the pickaxes were used. And now God's church is finished. So the, the trip back for me had many of those moments of the progress we've made together. But it is always the hospitality of the Tanzanians that is um, the gift. Within our little group of five, I think some were experiencing for the first time that the little older women come out to your van, take your bags out of your hand, as I said. Everything that you had together just gets <clears throat> spread out. Everybody's carrying your stuff, and they've cut, put it into the church. You can't carry your own burden. And when you get in, the songs are going, and the women are singing in harmony. They're clapping, they're dancing. There's, you know, the that we, we do, and they just laugh hysterically when we try to imitate the women's uh, voices. And so they sang to us. And as they're done singing, of course, there comes our chance to sing. There comes the warm welcome. The history of their church they're so proud of read to us in English and Kiswahili. The hot tea and warm milk that is a standard staple I love. The kuku nawali, which is chicken and rice, which we had at least once a day, if not twice a day, and sometimes three times a day, depending on how many churches we visit. They don't have a lot of food, but they always share their food with us and with others, I'm sure. Then comes the gift of fabric. They don't have enough money to buy us all gifts, but all five of us in all five sub-parishes all got gifts. Woven baskets, kangas, katangas, beautiful fabric. It was embarrassingly abundant. Smiling members clasped our hands and just said they didn't want us to leave. We share a mutual respect with these people, no matter what color their skin is. We are the minority. We are the one with an abundant life, but they can't wait to share from their um, humble means a gift that would be in Christian fellowship. The socioeconomic level between us is great, but the spiritual component is like glue. I would love to import them all here and take you there to bind us even tighter together as one family in Jesus Christ. This morning's gospel, therefore, uh, comes as a little bit of a challenge. It's not, again, I've said another text or two we've had in this series, it's not exactly the easiest text a preacher would like to grab, especially not when you're coming home from a foreign trip. But it says um, Jesus doesn't come off in this particular passage when he's in foreign territory very well. He is a guest that crosses over the border into uh, Tyre and Sidon, and this is Gentile territory. 
He's usually a little more sensitive than we read in this particular passage. There is, you know, tension between Jews and Gentiles always in the scripture, and of course, even today in many instances. Old prejudices linger. The Canaanites were Gentiles and often were considered lost sheep, unclean heathens, racially different from the Jews, the chosen people of God. Although by the first century when this gospel was written, there was beginning to be more understanding and a little breakdown of all these stereotypes, yet Jesus still warns his disciples in Matthew 6 chapter, when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Ouch. We are the Gentiles, you know. Of course, you and I uh, realize that Jesus was human. Often we'd like him to be only perfect at all times, but to be human really 100% and 100% divine, which we can't pull off ourselves, only Jesus could, means there has to be some moments where Jesus may not even shine as brightly. And this passage, I guess, might be a little bit of one of those. So the disciples enter Tyre and Sidon in the second half of our gospel. Gentile country. Remember in Jesus' genealogy, I know this is on the top of all of your minds, Jesus' genealogy in Matthew lists three Gentile women in his family tree. I think that's important to remember. And in this reading, this gospel, Jesus is soon confronted by a bold Canaanite mother seeking healing for her daughter. She says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. The disciples poo-poo her, and incredibly, Jesus also ignores her. Perhaps the author felt that Jesus needed to look a little more human here for a split second. After all, as I said, he's a little bit human, a little bit divine, 100% of each, in fact. Finally, she comes closer to kneel before Jesus and asks for help. Still, he responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He didn't want to throw children's food to the dogs. Ouch. That's hard to hear again from Jesus, that she isn't anything more than a female dog. Still, she persists out of love for her child. And finally, Jesus touches her is touched by her contrite heart, her trust in him, and her demand for justice. He says in amazement, Great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you wish. And instantly her daughter is healed. Now the gospel message as a whole is one of bold inclusion. Remember the criminal dying on the cross next to Jesus hearing from, his, from Jesus' lips, today you will be with me in paradise. And the inclusion of anyone who does the will of his father being called family, children of God. The wider embrace of Jesus' mission encourages foreigners, scandalous women, eunuchs, tax collectors to become his followers. They were all welcomed into God's kingdom despite racial, gender, ethnic differences. For unconditional love flows over all barriers and erases all borders that divide us in Jesus Christ. And labels diminish our God-given humanity. 
But this past week, America has shown its dark underbelly. We've taken a step back in time, some of us, sadly. Most are shocked, embarrassed that we have all felt this violent heartache as we watch the television this week with racism, neo-Nazis, white nationalists, KKK enthusiasts marching through the streets of Charlottesville, Virginia. You had to rub your eyes to think it was uh, 2017. And then the tragic killing of a 32-year-old woman, Heather Heyer, standing against the haters, innocently struck down in the name of justice for all. Add to that event the horror a few days later with the crowd in Barcelona. I was back only a day basking in the glow of our amazing spiritual connections with black Tanzanian church family when incredibly I turned on the television to see America modeling hatred and violence and KKK sympathy, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, the whole bundle. It was horrifying. I couldn't believe it. Our nation is so sorely in need of healing and hope. And the church has the message. The church's message of love and grace and freedom for all and honor of all needs to be proclaimed loud and clear. You know that as well as I. I don't have to tell Upper Dublin members that we are blessed to have diversity in this country, in the world, that God made every one of us, no matter the color of our skin, even our political views, divergent as they are, are are right. And even though we can't stand seeing KKK or any such thing, we must love our brothers and sisters, even though we detest what they stand for. It's a tall order all around. There's only one race, as some said this week, however, and that is the human race. God, unite us with your healing love. No one is supreme except Jesus Christ, our Lord. There was a beautiful website born this week as I was fumbling Friday to what on earth I might say today in in a way of challenge and healing and hope. And I came across this little uh, thing on my computer screen, a new website called lovehasnolabels.com. It's all one word, lovehasnolabels.com. And I was just so thrilled to see uh, what it offered. I said, this is the heart of our sermon. This is the heart of Jesus' message. It's a beautiful testimony that inside, behind the x-ray screen, which you're about to see in a few seconds, all of us are the same. The skin on the outside doesn't make much difference, although it does in our world to too many. But God made us all God's creatures to love one another. And this little video clip, I think, is a great sign of hope and understanding. And I can't have-